Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Jude, verse 3, continuing our series and making a difference, our theme for the year. Jude, verse 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 3. Our theme this year is found in verse 20, as 22, as you turn to verses 1 and 3. Verse 22 says, and some, and some have compassion, making a difference. And certainly that's what we need today in this day, is to make a difference. And we make a difference uh, by being a servant. We make a difference by, uh, again, as we see today, contending for the faith. Look at verses, look at verse 3. Let's look at verse 1 through 3. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Our text for this morning, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you, ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your love and all that you've done for us, your, your grace and your mercy. Lord, we do pray as we open your word. Lord, may we view the scriptures. May we, uh, Lord, be good listeners this morning. Lord, may your Holy Spirit be evident today. We ask, Lord, that we would leave different than, than when we came this morning. God, would you do what only you can do? Hide me behind the cross, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been learning, Jude uh, is the weather forecast for the last days. The weather forecast for the last days. It's the vestibule for the book of Revelation. In other words, in the book of Revelation, John writes about the churches in verses 1, 2, and 3. And then after chapter 3, you don't hear about the church anymore because the church has been, has been caught up. The church has been raptured out. And uh, listen, uh, we're in the last days and Jesus could return today. The imminent return of Christ, he could return today, he could return at this moment. Jude has given us a final warning just before the trumpet sounds. And he raptures out the saved. He raptures out all the saved. What a day that'll be. So he's warning us. He's giving us some insight as to what will be happening in the last days. We know also we've, we've studied uh, you know, there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where Timothy gives us some of the signs of the end times and also there in chapter 4. And then 2 Peter chapter 2 as well. Peter gives us further insight into those last days. This morning we see that Jude gives a charge. He gives a command. And that command is to contend for the faith. Before he warns of the apostate to come, he's gonna, he encourages us, he commands us to contend, fight for the faith. And I want to go ahead and give a definition of the word apostate or who are, who are apostates. Because that's what we're going to be studying the next couple of weeks. And so let me give you a definition. You won't remember it next week. But if you, you know, want to write it down, you can. If not, um, I'll remind you next time. But I do want to give you just a definition. It is, an apostate is someone who professes to believe and initially appears to be sincere, but later by action and words contradicts essential biblical doctrine. 
An apostate is not saved. An apostate needs to be saved. Someone who, who appears on the outside to have accepted Christ, but on the inside, they're mere professors. They are not, they are not possessors of eternal life. And so again, he's, he's warning of the trumpet to come. He's, he's given us signs of the end times. And then he is asking us, he's warning us to contend for the faith because apostates have infiltrated the church. In verses 3 through 4, we have contenders for the faith. That we ought to be contenders for the faith. And then verses 5 through 16 of Jude, we have the pretenders of the faith. And we'll cover those over the next few weeks. By the way, there's a lot of pretenders today. <laughs> you ever had someone pretend to like you or pretend to be your friend? And looking back on it, after you found out they were just pretending, they really did that in order to you know, achieve some goal for their life. And maybe it was... Um, you know, some kind of power or, or some kind of uh, position they could gain by gaining your friendship. Maybe it was in money. You know, I've, I've had people be kind and nice, and, and you have too, in order to, to get something out of you. Well, there are a lot of pretenders out there today, a lot of shysters, a lot of wolf in sheep's clothing, and a lot of them are behind pulpits. A lot of them you see on TV. Now, they're not out to, to, to help you, to, to save you. They're out for their own position. They're out, for the, they're out for money. They're millions and millions and millions of dollars given every week to ministries around the world who are simply pretenders and who are apostate, who are not genuine believers. And that's what, that's what Jude is saying. He wants, he wants to warn you of those. And we'll be doing that up in the upcoming weeks. There are those who are pretenders. But here he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to believers. Notice in verse 3 he says, beloved, beloved. This word means loved of God. It means those who have accepted Christ as Savior. Those who are a part of the family of God. Remember now in verse 1 we know he's writing to a special people. He's writing to Christians. Those who have been separated, sanctified, who are serving Jesus Christ, and who are called, preserved and called. So addressing Christians here. His intention, as we see in verse 3, his intention was to write about the common salvation, but the Holy Spirit redirected his theme, and he begins to write about contending for the faith. Uh, Warren Wisby said, I'd rather encourage the saints uh, than to declare war on the apostates. <laughs> it's a little, little harder uh, writing to declare war on the apostates than it is just to write about the great salvation that we have. So you imagine Jude having to turn his theme around and, and completely change what he was about to write because the Holy Spirit, by the way, that's key, the Holy Spirit directed him to. And it was needful for them. It was needful for them. In other words, he's saying, I was constrained. I was constrained that I must share in with you about contending for the faith. In other words, contending for the faith was needful. By the way, contending for the faith is needful in every generation. So we see he's writing about, about contending for the faith, but before he does that, I want to, again, encourage you about the common salvation. He says, he mentions this term, the common salvation. By common salvation, we understand that we are talking about, you know, by, salvation by grace through faith. The common salvation that is understood and received. In other words, it's, com it's common. It's not hidden. It's not distant, but it's common. Can I say to you this morning, the gospel is clear. 
It is clear. And if you were to go back to the 1800s, and I did a lot of reading uh, this week from men who preached in the 1800s, and if you were to go back in the 1800s, you would find that most denominations preached the same gospel. The gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection. You can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4. Paul gives the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. That's the good news of salvation. It's the common salvation. In other words, it's the same for all. I'm glad that it is a common salvation, that all nations, all classes of people, all ages, no matter your ethnicity, no matter if you're black or white or brown or whatever, the common salvation is to all. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm glad that God is the God of whosoever will. That He loved the whole world, all the world, every person, rich and poor, black and white. What a great God we serve. That God is no respecter of persons. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, and, and not willing that any should perish, but that all, all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ died for all mankind. He died for every person. Man, woman, child. He died for all. Acts, 30, uh, Acts 10, verse 34 says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Peter said, God is no respecter of persons. Can I tell you this morning, God is no respecter of persons. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you know, level of society you hold or what position in society you hold. Doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter. None of that matters to God. God loves everyone. By the way, we should, we should follow in his steps. Jesus loved everyone. He said, a new, a, new, a new law I give to you, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. We ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, again, it's a common salvation, that this salvation is for all. And then the word salvation. I just, again, this morning, think about the word saved. To be saved. That word saved means delivered from danger or healed from sickness. Delivered from danger or healed from sickness. When I was six years old, I went, went to the lake with my mom and my, my, my brothers and sister. And, and we went to the lake and I was in a little float up, a little blow up canoe, this little bitty canoe. And I was paddling around and I got out deep and I went to turn around and I fell out of the canoe. When I fell out of the canoe, I couldn't reach the bottom. I couldn't swim. What did I do? I went down to the bottom of the lake and I pushed up with my feet and I waved my hands. I went down to the bottom of the lake and I pushed up my feet. Thankfully, my mom saw me and she came over and she saved me. She pulled me out. She pulled me away. She delivered me from danger. Thankful for that. I wouldn't be here today. I'm also thankful for the cartoon, Popeye cartoon, which is what I thought about when I went under the water. I thought about olive oil and she would raise her finger like that one. When she'd go under the water and come back up, she'd go two. I literally did. It's clear, crystal clear today. I can remember the exact thoughts I had when I went under the water, and I'm thankful that the Pie Pie cartoon saved my life. I was delivered by my mother primarily, but also by the Pie Pie cartoon. Delivered. To be saved is to be delivered. When we get saved, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we're delivered from spiritual death. 
Ephesians says, you or ye hath ye quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I'm thankful today that my spirit's been made alive. What a, what a, wonderful, what a wonderful thing it is. What a wonderful feeling it is. To be saved, to accept Christ as Savior is to be delivered from sin. That, it's that sin that separates us from God. And when we get saved, when we get saved, He delivers us from that separation. We're no longer separated from God. When I was born into this world, I was born at enmity with God. I was born at war with God. But it's Jesus Christ who's the mediator who brings God and man back together. And now I've been delivered from that separation from God. No longer, no longer on the outside but now a child of God. I've been delivered from the power of sin. When I accepted Christ as my Savior, I was delivered from the love of sin. I no longer want to sin. I no longer want to do wrong. I want to do right. I don't always do right. And by the way, when I don't do right as a saved, born-again believer, it costs me something. <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel guilt. I feel the Holy Spirit conviction. Uh, and it, it, it continues in my life until I... Ask the Lord for forgiveness. And I'm thankful he forgives. Amen? Amen? I'm thankful for that. But at the initial point of salvation, I am so thankful that I am saved or delivered from the power of sin. No longer love to sin. I don't want my fellowship with God broken. I want to stay. I want to walk with Jesus. I, I want to talk with the Lord. Not verbally. But I want to read this word. I, I want to. And those are the things that our appetites change when we accept Christ as Savior. It, it delivers us from the wrong appetites. Not only am I delivered from sin and from the power of sin, but I'm delivered from the yoke of evil and sin. We've, we've gone over this a few times here lately, but I'm telling you, the yoke, the yoke of sin is a terrible way to live your life. I'm glad that when I got saved, I was saved, delivered from the slave market of sin. And then I was, I was born into the family of God. Man, the, God, God's way is the best way, folks. The world only offers temporary joy. Temporary happiness. The world, only, the world will never satisfy. But God brings joy into your life. Lasting joy. Lasting peace. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to accept Christ as your Savior. Delivered. Again, he says, Beloved, children of God, I was careful in my effort, my, in other words, I was diligent to write unto you of the common salvation. This common salvation is to all who believe. Remember what Paul said to the Philippian jailer? The Philippian jailer, when Paul and Silas, uh, you know, the jailhouse rocked, remember? <laughs> God sent an earthquake, the jail doors came open, and the jailer thought everybody had escaped, he was about to kill himself. Peter said, wait, don't do it. And the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And the apostle said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Notice what it says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be what? Saved. Delivered. Delivered from the penalty of sin. There is one road to salvation. The Bible describes it as a narrow road. 
There's one door to salvation. Jesus said, I am the door. There's one Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh in the Father but by me. Jesus didn't say he was part of the way. He didn't say he was the best way. He said, I am the way, emphatically the only way. The only way to escape hell and have a home in heaven is through Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He who tries to be his own savior is a fool. So many, most of the world today believes that salvation is found in doing good works. That if we get to heaven one day and we'll get to heaven and one day the, there in heaven there'll be a big scale and if my good works outweigh my bad works then surely God will let me into heaven. No, sir. No, ma'am. That's not the way it works. That's not what the Bible says. Salvation is not found in what we do. Salvation is found in what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. Jesus has already done the work. We don't work our way to heaven. Jesus Christ already did the work. It was Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again that we might have our sins forgiven and might have our home in heaven. It's Jesus who took the sins of the world upon himself. It was Jesus who took my place on the cross. It was Jesus who died for my sins. It was Jesus who died for me that I might not have to suffer, that I might not have to give my life for my sins, but that I might escape the penalty of sin, which is death, hell, and the grave, and have a home in heaven. What a glorious Savior we have. What a wonderful Savior who would give his life for me, who would give his life for you. Are you saved this morning? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Again, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Whether you're here in the auditorium or watching online, I encourage you, make a decision. Don't put it off. Come to Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. No man knows what tomorrow may bring forth. In just a moment, we'll have a time of music and invitation to invite you to come to this altar and someone can show you from the Bible how you can have eternal life, how you can be delivered from danger, how you can be delivered from hell, how you can be delivered from the penalty of sin. The common salvation. Are you saved? Christian, this morning, sometimes this subject becomes so familiar to us, doesn't it? And boy, familiarity brings, con- you know, it brings contentment or breeds uh, apathy. And I just, I want to encourage you. The gospel is the greatest doctrine found in the Bible. It's the greatest doctrine. And it needs to be repeated over and over and over again. And uh, may we never tire on Sunday morning, because most every Sunday morning, the gospel is going to be preached from this pulpit, whether it's me or Brother Wiggins or whoever is here, it's going to be preached. And may we never tire of hearing it. Now, Sunday night and Wednesday nights are a little different, and, and maybe the gospel is not always clearly presented. But I'm telling you, on Sunday morning, we want to clearly present the gospel. I remember the first time going to the Rocky Mountains and seeing the the great Mount, you know, Mount uh, Scott and Mount uh, Pikes Peak and many of those great uh, mountains. And I was eight years old, and I'll never forget it. The impact it had on me and beautiful, majestic mountains. And then I've met people who live up there. I've and several pastor friends who live there who, who every morning when they get up, they look out their window and they see Pikes Peak. And over time, it doesn't take very long, all of a sudden it becomes familiar to them and no longer 
does it carry the same weight or the same majesty? And that's what happens to us as Christians many times. We, we become so familiar with the subject of the gospel and many of the familiar subjects of the Bible, and they become so familiar to us, they don't hold the same weight anymore. And may we check ourselves every once in a while and be reminded that it was the gospel that saved us. It's Jesus Christ who gave his life and who died and was buried and rose again for us. And we should never tire of the subject. A common salvation. And then we see, he says there, that we should earnestly contend for the faith. To contend for the faith. To strive in combat. To fight. To be assertive. To stand uh, uh, agonizingly. To stand. We think about 1 Corinthians 16, 13 that says, Stand firm in the faith. Continue, uh, the Bible says there, continue in the faith in 2 Timothy 2. And then uh, we think about, again, Paul using the illustration of the metaphor many, many times on, on fighting the good fight of faith. Enduring hardness as a good soldier. We think about putting on the whole armor of God. There's a struggle taking place today. Most of it is a struggle we cannot see. We wrestle not against principalities and powers. In other words, there, there's, a, there's a fight going on that we cannot see. But in this struggle that we can see, we need to contend for the faith. Jude is saying we need to fight for the faith. We need to sincerely and intensely, with all of our conviction, it means earnestly, contend for the faith. That, uh, and sincerely and in, with intense conviction. Uh, somebody has said, a belief is something you hold, but a conviction is something that holds you. A belief is something you hold, but a conviction is something that holds you. Um, I have uh, swung, swang, swung, swang, have swung on a rope swing. How many of you have done that? You know, you see a rope swing and, man, you grab onto that swing, especially one that's close to the water. You think, woohoo, here we go. How many of you, as you've gotten older, think you look at the rope swing, you go, all right, let's go. And then you grab it and you go, oh, no, because you just don't have the same you know, you, you believe you can hold onto that rope and swing out and land in the water, but maybe that doesn't quite happen anymore because your weight far exceeds your ability and capacity to carry your own weight through your muscular atrophy. Go look the word atrophy up. I actually know what it means. But a conviction is something that holds you. It would be like going to a zip line. How many of y'all been in a zip line before? Gone to rode a zip line and they put you in that harness and you actually set in it, right? So no longer am I having to hold on to something in order not to fall. But listen, it's holding me. A conviction, a belief is something I'm holding on to. I believe uh, whatever it may be. I believe this or I believe that. But a conviction is something that holds me. In other words, it, it takes no effort. It, it's it's firm. It's foundational. It, it can't be moved. It, it won't be moved. And there are certain... Things we as Christians ought to fight for. There are convictions we ought to fight for. There are biblical truths that we should earnestly contend for. We should contend. By the way, we should contend without being contentious. I just, I think it's so important that as we contend. By the way, we should contend. Can I just say that again? Christians, don't, don't lay over. You know, don't give up. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. But we can't contend without being contentious. It's important that we not be mean-spirited when we're talking to somebody about the faith. And they're, and they're being antagonistic. We should be antagonistic back. We can have the right position and have the wrong disposition. And let us be careful as we defend and as we contend for the faith. 
Ephesians 4.15 says that we ought to speak the truth in love. And we ought to do that. By the way, if you lose your temper with somebody as you are talking to them about the Bible, you have lost the argument and you have lost your testimony. May we contend without being contentious. May we speak the truth in love. May we contend for the faith. Again, it's no time to lay down. It's no, no, no time to give in to the politically correct culture in which we live. We, we ought to contend for the biblical truth that's set before us in the Bible. We ought to contend for the faith. What is the faith? That essential body of teaching that's found in the Bible. The essential body of doctrine that's been given to us. That, 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 that the body of doctrine that's right thinking about God. It's right thinking about creation. It's right thinking about the Bible. Right? The Bible. I, we ought to contend for the verbal inspiration of the Bible. It is verbally inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen, this is the inspired, the inerrant, the, the very words of God. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This book was written by God using human instruments, but it's written by God. It's the greatest book on earth. God breathed. This book is without error. This is God's love letter to us. We should contend for it. We should contend for the verbal inspiration of the scriptures. We should contend for the virgin birth. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Behold, a, chi- a woman shall give, be a virgin shall conceive. Behold, a w- virgin shall conceive. A virgin shall conceive. A virgin shall conceive. Matthew tells us that Jesus was born before they came together. Before Joseph and Mary came together as man and wife, he was born. Born of a virgin. We should contend for the virgin birth. Mm. We should contend for the vicarious suffering and death of Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Mm. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, the Bible says. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Vicarious. In other words, he died in our place. He was wounded in our place. He, he took the suffering that we should have suffered and he died the death we should, have de- we should have died. The death, even the death of the cross. We need to contend for the vicarious death and suffering of Jesus Christ. That the God of the universe, the one who made the sun, the moon, and the stars became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Great is the mystery of God in us. God was manifest in the flesh and that God who became flesh died for me and died for you. He died for our sins. We should contend for the verbal inspiration of the scriptures. Contend for the faith, right? Contend for the faith, for the verbal inspiration of the scriptures for the virgin birth, for the vicarious suffering and death of Christ on the cross. And then fourthly, we should contend for the victorious resurrection. Hmm. Think about verses that run through my head. It's, it's God, the Bible says, who raised him from the dead. Christ that raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over you. Romans chapter 6, verse 9. 
when Peter stood there on the day of Pentecost. There were thousands of individuals there, not only Jews, but of all nationalities. And he stands up 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, having spent time with Jesus after his resurrection. Peter, who denied Jesus three times there at one of the trials, there Peter stands up 50 days later and he preaches a message. And basically he says to those thousands of people who are gathered in Jerusalem for that great feast, the day of Pentecost or the feast of weeks, and he preaches a sermon and basically says to them, Hey, you killed the Messiah. You murdered the Messiah. But God, he said, hath raised him from the dead. Listen, Jesus Christ is no longer in the ground. Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave. He's no longer in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. In fact, one scripture says Jesus himself raised himself from the dead. He said, tear this temple down in three days and in three days I'll raise it up myself. Holy Spirit is also given um, credit for having raised him from the dead. By the way, it's because we have a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. Hmm. We should contend for the victorious resurrection. And then we should contend for the visible return of Christ. The visible return of Christ. He's coming again. He's coming again. Christian, he's coming again. Child of God, he's coming again. It could be today. could be today. Hmm. The trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together. To meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Just waiting for the trumpet to sound. The voice of God to sound. To catch us up. The rapture of all the saved. To meet the Lord in the air. We need to contend for the faith. We need to contend for the fundamentals of the faith. If you go on our website, you can look up our articles of faith and you can see that what is important, that faith that is important, you can look up the New Hampshire uh, Statement of Faith from 1833, 1854, which is what most Baptist churches kind of adopt, biblical statement of faith, what we believe. We hold those truths because the Bible holds the truths. And we should contend for those truths, especially the five I've just given you, the fundamentals of the faith. Listen, without these five, any one of these five goes away. We have, we have no hope. They're essential essential. If there is no virgin birth, there's no salvation. Then Jesus would have had a sin nature. Listen, just like you have to have gas in order for a car to run, it's essential. Just like you have to have, you know, air for for a motor to run, it's essential. Just like you have to have spark. Some of us boys growing up, our dad taught us, hey, it's got to have gas, got to have fire, it's got to have air. If it's not running, it's one of those three. Can't be anything else. Got to be one of those three. They're essential. Without any of those three, one of those three, they won't run. And I'm telling you, without the verbal inspiration of the Scripture, without the virgin birth, without the vicarious death and suffering of Jesus Christ, without the victorious uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, without the visible return of Jesus Christ, we are without hope. And we are dead in our sins. We need to contend for the faith. Once delivered, it says. Once delivered. Not twice delivered. Not three times delivered. But once delivered. The gospel... The word of God is complete. Around 90 or so A.D., John wrote the revelation and it was complete. When that which is perfect has come, talking about the word of God, that which is in part will be done away with. 
when that which is perfect has come, when the word of God was completed. And then Revelation, John says, okay, now that the word of God is complete, any man who adds to or takes away from this book is in danger of hell. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, John, the loved of Jesus Christ. John says, if you add to the book or you take away from the book, hell's your home. Hmm. That's, That's pretty rough, isn't it? The word of God's complete that was once delivered to the saints. we got people on TV and evangelists on TV who, who, who say, oh, you know, and they kind of do usually do this. And they go, i got a word from God. I'm, I'm hearing him right now. And listen, he's got, I, he, he wants me to tell you, that's a bunch of bull. He's not, he not hearing from God. He may be hearing from somebody, but that, that individual, that lady, that man, not hearing from God. God speaks in a still small voice. He don't speak audibly to nobody. God, who at sundry times, who at different times and diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son through this. This is completed. There is no extra revelation. There is no, there's no additional testaments. There are two testaments, Old and New Testament, and they are complete. They're done. And we shouldn't add to or take away from this book. It's important that we contend for the faith that was once delivered. Again, not twice delivered, not three times delivered, but once delivered. Turn to Galatians with me real quick. I haven't had you turn to to any script besides our text. I want you to take just a minute. I want you to hear this for yourself and look at it yourself. Galatians uh, chapter 6. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Look at this scripture with me. Here, here's Paul writing to the churches, church as the provinces of Galatia, the churches of Galatia. And he says this, I marvel, verse 6, Galatians 1. I marvel, I'm astounded, I marvel, I, I'm, I'm, I'm astounded that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. He says there's not another gospel. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God, of Christ. But though we, listen to this, but though we, he's saying, though uh, me, me, Paul, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And, and as we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. I think he's, he's repeated it twice. <laughs> there is not another gospel. There is one gospel. There is one way to, the, to heaven. There's one way to have your sins forgiven. And that's through Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It's the only way of salvation. There's a group out there who knock on your door. And they'll say to you, hey, we're from the Church of Latter-day Saints. We'd like to share with you uh, a, a few words. And they, you begin to talk with them and you find out the Mormons, they don't like to call themselves Mormons. Uh, Mormons, they, put on their, they never put that on their, their little tabernacle things. They never put it on there. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ was simply a God, not the God. The Mormons do not believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that Jesus was created. And many other 
non-biblical beliefs. And what Paul is saying here is, by the way, they believe that they, their, their founders, Mr. Smith, received these tablets, these golden tablets. He, be, he, be, he believes he received another testament. That's bogus, folks. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Paul just said, if anybody comes to you with another testament, anybody comes to you with another gospel, they are to be accursed. Strong words, isn't it? Again, we should separate between the people and their belief. There are some good people who are Mormons. Hello? And we could contend without being contentious and we could be kind and gracious. But that belief, I'll give you, for instance, we've been studying, we just started studying Psalm 110 on Wednesday night. Well, the corresponding, the cross-reference to Psalm 110 is Jesus speaking in, in Matthew chapter 22. And there he's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees and they began to list some things and do some things. And finally, Jesus just asked them a question. What do you think of Christ? And can I tell you, that's the question we should ask any of these cults out there and any of these occults out there. What do you think of Jesus? And my Bible says if they do not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, if they do not believe in the triunity of God, that God, that Jesus was just as much God as though he'd never been man and just as much man as though he'd never been God, that he was the God-man, then we should not let them in our home. That's what the Bible says. That's how, that's how firm the Bible is when it comes to those who would preach another gospel. I'm saying the Bible considers that a very serious problem. And it says that we ought to contend for the faith, that we ought to take the faith that, we, that the Bible instructs us and the Bible gives us, and we should fight for it. Don't give in. Don't give out. Stand up. Stand firm in the faith. Quit ye like men. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Let's go forward as Christians. Once delivered to the saints. I'm thankful this morning for the common salvation. I'm thankful that salvation's for all who would believe. All who would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and delivered, be delivered, be delivered from the power and penalty of sin. I'm thankful Jesus Christ showed such great love that he went to the cross and there he died for me. He died for my sins. He took the penalty for me. He died in my place. Not only delivering me from the penalty of sin, but delivering me from the power of sin. I don't love sin anymore. I don't want to sin as a Christian. I want to live right. I don't always do that. But through the help of the Holy Spirit, I strive for the mastery. I strive for the prize. I strive to live as Jesus would live. I try to follow in Jesus' steps. Common salvation, deliverance from the wrath of God. And then contention, that we should contend without being contentious, by the way. Contend, fight for the faith. We need to fight for the faith in this generation. I'm coming to a point, so stay with me. And we're almost there. We should contend for the faith in this generation. Listen, it's, 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 it's something out there. We, we, we live in a world where there are many compromising. There are many compromising. There are, there are those who teach contrary to the Bible. I think about today that our faith is under assault. It's under assault by the government. It's under assault by the government. It's under assault by, by our universities. It's under assault, assault by many, most of our public schools. It's under assault by our seminaries. Many of the seminaries in America now, it's under assault the faith. Those five things I just give you, those fundamentals of faith. And listen, it's under assault in many churches today too. 
Many people, many preachers, so-called preachers, stand up in the pulpit and don't preach the truth. May we contend for the faith in this generation. Why? Why should we contend in this generation? That we might make a difference for the next generation. By the way, that we might make a difference now that, that those who would come to Jesus could be saved and they could hear the truth and not, not some fairy tale or some other gospel, but they could hear the real gospel. They could hear the truth. They could hear the genuine gospel and get saved today. But listen, the next generation, oh man, most of you in here uh, either have kids or grandkids. Do you want the next generation to have the truth? Do you want the next generation to have the gospel? Do you want to have the next generation to, to hear the good news of salvation? That Jesus Christ came and died for them and was buried and rose again, that their sins might be forgiven and they could have a home in heaven? Do you want them to hear the truth? We need to make a difference by continuing for the faith today. Contend for the faith today. We as Christians need to stand up. We need to stand for the faith. We need to stand for the faith and pass it down to our children and our grandchildren. And then earnestly exhort them, that's what it says, that they might contend for the faith. Because you think we're under assault today. You think the faith is under assault today, tomorrow. Mm. I'm glad the Lord's returning. And it could be today. And what a great day that'll be. What a day that'll be. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face. The one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. But until he returns, let's contend for the faith. Let's, let's contend for the truth of the word of God. Let's all stand. Let's stand. We'll have a verse of invitation and invite you to come. If there's someone here this morning, you've never accepted, you've never taken hold of the common salvation. Would you come today and let us show you from the Bible how you can have salvation? Maybe you're again watching online and we hope that you'd email us or let us know. We'd love to show you from the Bible how you can be saved. Christian this morning, contend for the faith. When your, when your child comes home from school or comes home with a, a different ideal of what, other than what's in the Bible, make time to, to show them what they believe and why, that they might stand for the faith. May you have the answers of the joy within you as well, the hope within you. You can answer what you believe and why. Let's contend for the faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, what a blessing it is to know that we're children of God and that our sins have been forgiven and we have a home in heaven. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today who hasn't accepted you today, they haven't come to the common salvation, Lord, may they get saved today. We pray as Christians, Lord, that you would embolden us through your spirit to contend for the faith. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.